Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Rain on Friday, rain on Saturday, two games Sunday. One was a win, one was a loss, and everyone hated how cold it was. That's the upshot of how the Mets are now 20 up. 10 down, 30 games along, 667 baseball. Meatloaf sang it, may he rest in peace. The Mets are living it. Two out of three ain't bad. Matter of fact, if they just keep winning two out of three, that's 108 wins at the end of the year and a sweet ride into a first round bye in October. But we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. A small bit of paradise by the dashboard light is next on the really big show. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. A game one loss in blustery, nippy Philadelphia Sunday afternoon. Game two was the Pete Alonzo show on a day kind of fit for a polar bear weather-wise. It was a loss in the opener, a win after that. The Mets split the double dip, and they are still 10 games above 500. There, that's what you need to know if you have to go do something else now. But for the rest of you, settle on in. Josh Lewin here on my way back from that European vacation, and it was great. Thanks for asking. I'd have brought you back some wine, but I, I don't have your address. Sorry. I'm, uh, I'm actually going to rabbit hole you right away here. Not for a long time, but I thought you might find this interesting. Probably not as interesting as the results of the doubleheader in Philly on that bone-chilling Mother's Day afternoon. We'll get to that, but check it out. I attended two soccer matches while in northern Italy. I attended two due soccer matches, one in Milan, one in a little town called Como. AC Milan is top of the table in Serie A. Como is a plucky little underdog in Serie A B, or, or whatever B is in Italian. Let me explain the difference between A and B and how European soccer teams and their fans always get kept on their toes. If you don't know about relegation, if you're in the bottom three of the standings, usually 20 teams in a league, you go down. I mean, you go down a level. And conversely, if you're in that lower league and you're in the top three at the end of the year, you go up. So there's no Orioles, there's no Reds where you're just going to tank and say, oh, well, because then your whole franchise goes down and might never come back. So uh, that's one thing. But here's what I learned at AC Milan, 80,000-seat stadium. Uh, The ticket situation... It's really interesting. We, we bought from a, uh, a second party, you know, sometimes you do, and actual tickets. So we, we go to sit in our seats, and it's kind of like, yeah, good luck with that. Because the uh, equivalent of the seven-line army just takes over the section. doesn't matter what your ticket number actually says. They're in your seats. So it's just kind of like you move on down, you find another seat. And that was interesting because we kept it like nerds. They just saying, but but these are our seats, and it, it really didn't matter. Uh, great game, it was a lot of fun. But here's what I learned at Como. Uh, first of all, no merch. That's incredible to me. I mean, I know it's a, a lower division team, but I wanted to buy a scarf, 
a pin, a hat, something, nothing, nothing for sale. But in their little press box that they have, they're serving wine. I mean, they have like these beautiful ladies that come out and serve you wine in the press box. Uh, you know, so if you're paying attention, Mike Puma, if you're listening, any of you writers, it's pretty cool. Uh, and also what I, I thought was apple cobbler or something like that they brought by, uh, it was actually tuna noodle casserole of all things. Not even uh, close to, to apple cobbler, but still, they're bringing you... Uh, stuff like that in the middle of a game. It's not even a hot dog. It's hot tuna noodle casserole. Anyway, uh, that was a bit of a difference from what I was, was used to for sure. Let's get back to baseball. The Mets rained out on Friday, rained out on Saturday, two games Sunday. And, um, well, one of those rained out games, a Friday one, rescheduled as part of a doubleheader in August. So uh, we're just going to get to what happened on Sunday. First, I want to go back just for a minute to that Thursday night miracle, the comeback win with the 7th and the ninth, And uh, this, by the way, is why you should never get all agitated if a team tries to add to a 7-1 lead, because you just never know. Back in 1990, the Phillies did the huge comeback to someone. It was the L.A. Dodgers at Chavez Ravine. Philly was down to the fighting Lasorda's 11-1 with an out in the, in the books in the seventh inning. They cut it to 11-3, didn't score in the eighth. They came up in the ninth, and the Dodgers brought in a guy named Dave Walsh to try to close things out up eight. He faltered, then Tim Cruz faltered, and Jay Howell faltered. It was an eight-run ninth, 12-11 year final. Best home comeback like that, many of you will attest, was the Mets against the Braves at Shea. Uh, this one was uh, in the year 2000, June the 30th to be precise. Eight to one deficit, bottom of the eighth against the Braves. Ten runs in, one point eight straight Mets reach base. Edgardo Alfonso pulled them even with a two-run single. Piazza put the exclamation point on it with a laser beam three-run homer off Terry Mulholland that barely stayed fair. Crowd of fifty-two thousand eight thirty-one, which had stayed for post-game fireworks, rewarded for hanging around and see that win over an opponent that had taken twenty-six of the last thirty-one against the Mets in the regular season. But anyway, back to the here and now. Everybody's still buzzing about that seven-run ninth from the opener of this series. Some news and notes, though, before we tackle the Sunday doubleheader. Infield depth has been acquired. Gosuke Kato comes in off waivers from Toronto. He hit 306 at AAA last year. He plays all four infield positions. He plays left. He plays right. Second round pick by the Yankees back in 13 when Billy Epler was in their front office. He goes to AAA Syracuse. That's probably a good guy to have around. We also unfortunately have some sad news about John Stearns, the popular Mets catcher of about 40, 45 years ago, nicknamed Bad Dude. And he's having, unfortunately, some real bad health issues right now. He's parked at an assistant living facility in Denver. His old high school out there, Thomas Jefferson High, just retired as number 12. John Stearns was a great player. He was really fast for a catcher, 25-steal season in 78. He was an all-conference safety at the University of Colorado, still holds the Buffalo's career record for most interceptions out there. If you have some thoughts and prayers for John Stearns, that would certainly be appreciated. And finally, uh, Robinson Cano officially has cleared waivers. He's released. He is no longer a New York Met. He posted a video of himself working out yesterday. Seems to want to keep on playing for someone. I think either of the Sox, red or white, makes some sense. The White Sox have the injury to Eloy Jimenez. They've used seven different DHs so far. The Red Sox are 26th in baseball and run scored. They need a jolt. So just kind of throwing that out there. 
All right, let's finally get you to the Sunday games. About freaking time, right? Game one in Philly in the early afternoon. Max Scherzer on the mound. Uh, the first of two veteran all-star pitchers with current ERAs of 2.61 that would roll out there for the Mets. Kyle Gibson for Philly, the team that came in 11-15 and to the Mets 19-9. and Scherzer coming in, his last 24 regular season starts, no losses, 2.5 ERA. And career against the Phillies, 16-4 with a 2.6 ERA. And as you may recall, the Mets went all in on Scherzer only after Stephen Matz spurned their offer and signed with St. Louis instead. Not to be that guy, but Matz just gave up a grand slam Sunday to Wilmer Flores in a battle of formerly much-loved Mets. Matz's ERA through six starts as a Cardinal is 7.01. He's the first St. Louis starter with an ERA that bad in his first six starts since Justin Masterson eight years ago. So Scherzer, not at his Scherzer-y best on Sunday, but he did deserve a better fate than what he got. He allowed five hits on exit velos of 78 miles an hour or less. Most soft hits in a game by Max in September of 2015, we are told. He basically got bled to death and paper cut by paper cut. Well, he did allow a rocket of a home run by Bryce Harper, but he kept Kyle Schwarber in the park this time. And the big problem for the Mets was a different Kyle. Kyle Gibson, the Phillies starter, had it at 3 nothing for the home team through five. Before a bit of a breakthrough then in the sixth, Darling Marte led off that inning with a double, his fifth hit in his last five ABs at that point. Luis Guillorme infield single. The Mets, we're going to chronicle, uh, chronicle this in a moment, very, very good at infield singles this year. It was first and third, nobody out, but then James McCann banged into a double play. Run scores, but the, the chance for a big inning just kind of died on the vine there. The Mets did find a way to score another, though. Nimmo singled to center, and then up came Francisco Lindor. Infield overshifted, batting left-handed. The first pitch hit deep to right field. Down the line, hooking towards the corner. Will it go? No, it hits the base of the wall. Bounds behind Castellanos. Nimmo around third, digging for the plate. He scores standing as the throw is cut off at first by Camargo. And on at second with an RBI double is Francisco Lindor. And the Mets are to within one. It's the Phillies three and the Mets two. Thanks to WCBS for the audio. Lindor, 17 RBIs at that point to match who 17 runs scored. But that's as close as the Mets would get. They got the two hits from Nimmo, two from Marte. Everyone else combined was two for 23. Three through six in the order, McNeil, Alonzo, Escobar, and Dom Smith, 0 for 16. Scherzer allowed 10 hits and the three runs in six innings on a very cold day. The Phillies are hitting 317 against Max this year in those three starts he's made against him. Everyone else against Max is six for 65. That's the batting average of 092. His first regular season loss in 25 starts. And after it was over, Buck Showalter was asked his opinion of his performance. Good, good. one of his better uh, conditions-wise. That was impressive to get through that. He uh, had six days off. Third time he's faced a team in the season already. Couldn't grip the, uh, you know, the baseballs. It's evidenced by the number of sliders that he couldn't, uh, couldn't get on. Balls were slick. You can tell uh, Gibson had the same. You just saw a lot of cutters today. That's the pitch the guys go to when they can't grip the ball. But uh, that was good. I tell you, Max to, to work his way through six. I think they had two hard hit balls off of him the whole day. Just one of those days where you know balls fell in. We had some balls hit hard. Um, so no, I was I was proud of Max. 
good, uh, gave us a chance to win, kept it at bay against some good hitters. Gibson as well. What was Keith Pardon? What was Keith for Gibson this afternoon? Game one. What Keith for Gibson? Just uh, you know, you, when you when you have a day like today, you got to have something that uh, you know you, uh, the, the two seamer and the and the cutter. You know, you know he, he can make the ball go both ways. That's what allowed both the starters to survive. Tough day to pitch. Now there you have it. Part of the problem. Slick balls. The Mets dropping to 19 and 10 with the game one loss, although with seven more strikeouts, Scherzer now up to 49 in his first six starts as a Met. Only Pedro Martinez ever debut with a bigger strikeout flourish than that. So we go to game two. Chris Bassett asked to pick up the slack. Pete Alonso staked him to a two zip lead with a two run homer in the first. Number six for the Polar Bear, and a damn shame he couldn't have done that at some point in game one. Phillies get one back in the bottom of the second, a Gene Segura home run. Then more Alonso. Here's what happened in the top of the fifth, according to Howie Rose. Does he get a fastball? Nelson ready. Here's the 2 0. Yes, he does, and it's hammered deep to left field. Forget it. Way back and way gone. Into the back of the lower left field stands. Nelson came with the fastball 2 0, and Alonso absolutely crushed it. A three-run homer. He has driven in all five Met runs. It's his seventh home run of the year, and the Mets have a 5-1 to one lead. Three for three with five RBIs for Alonzo at that point halfway through the game. Ten for his last 21 with a couple doubles, three homers, eight batted in. That's a nice week. 26 RBIs for the year and 26 games played. That total leads the National League. From there, J.D. Davis scored on a wild pitch in the sixth. That was it. 6-1 was the final. The law firm of Shreve, Smith, and Lugo getting the final 11 outs. The Mets, the first team to 20 wins. They were also the first team to 10 wins. Last time they pulled that off, that little parlor trick, was 1976, which did not end up being a great season because they just couldn't hit. But those 76 Mets led the National League in ERA and strikeouts and shutouts. They used 13 pitchers the entire season. We'll never hear about something like that again. Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, John Matlack were all great. They gobbled up close to 800 innings between them. The rotation so strong that Joe Frazier basically got away with a two-man bullpen of Skip Lockwood and Bob Apodaca the whole year. The Mets' five starters and those two relievers accounted for 90% of the team's innings in 1976. Again, that kind of stuff we'll never see again. All right, so big picture now. The Mets we do believe are legit because their pitching, of course, is for real, especially if they get the DeGrom boost at some point. They're legit because they're deep. They're one of just a few teams who have at least seven different hitters with a league average mark or better. But let's go into the murky depths of all of that. First of all, they're making lots of contact. And if you're not going to make hard contact, you better make lots of contact, right? And that's what they're doing. They've got the fifth lowest strikeout rate in baseball. No team has more batted balls in play of any type. And when they pulled off that miracle comeback Thursday night, for example, 10 Mets came to the plate in the ninth inning. Eight of them made contact. Only one of them, Francisco Lindor, hit a home run. But Starling Marte got that all started with a leadoff infield hit that was 45 miles an hour off his bat. And you may have heard that across the board, offense is way down. And the majors just had a 369 April slugging percentage That's the third weakest of the last 40 years of any month. Now, you got a change in the baseball, right? You've got all these extra humidors in 20 different ballparks now to get it to all 
30 ballparks using humidors. Just not a great time to be a slugger, especially not when the, the baseballs are used to reaching the bleachers or falling on warning tracks instead. But might be a great time to be an actual skilled hitter, a team of guys that don't absolutely depend on the home run to make their money. And that's kind of what the Mets have assembled here. Consider their team slugging percentage. It really hasn't changed much at all from last year. What's changed, it's where it's ranked Last year, the slugging percentage was 391. It was 25th best in baseball. This year, 386. That's down a tick. But that's 11th best in baseball this year instead of 25th. So a lot of their contact is finding patches of grass. I I hate to say that's luck because it's never that simple. But the Mets do have a 309 batting average in balls in play right now. And that leads the majors. It's actually tied for the highest in a full season in team history if they can keep this up. That's the part that has nothing to do with strikeouts or home runs. It's about whether balls hit into the field of play or hits or outs. You look at Mark Canna, has a 431 BABIP. He was a 286 career BABIP guy before the year. Jeff McNeil's at 390. Usually he's 320. So I guess what I'm saying is it's unlikely that those numbers are going to stay this high for that long, but enjoy this while it lasts. They've got the best average on ground balls. They do hit a ton of them, third most in the major leagues. Sometimes they hit them very weakly. They've got the fifth weakest ground ball exit velocity. That is actually a stat. But speed kills, baby. Soft contact made by fast men who run hard. That's what gets you infield hits. The Mets have 34 of those bad boys to lead the league. When's the last time you thought to yourself, do the Mets lead the league in infield hits? Jeff McNeil said last week, I'm just trying to hit it where they're not. That's really all it is to it. If they were shifting me last year, I wanted to hit something hard. And now I say, I'm not going to try to beat the shift. I'm just putting a good swing on it. I don't care if I hit it 40 miles an hour. If it goes to the left side and gets through, that's fine. I love that approach from Jeff McNeil. It helps that Brandon Nemo and Francisco Lindor are healthy and productive for now. Those are two statements that weren't always true last year. The Mets are also hitting 209 with two strikes on them this year. Most teams hit around 160 in that situation. So they're not necessarily clobbering the ball this year, but they are scoring more runs than most teams. There's obvious value in not striking out, and we're just kind of seeing that play out so far this year. Remember, the Mets are not trying to find a way to just make the playoffs here. I mean, that that would be a bit of a low bar with what they're spending. They want to win the NL East for the first time since 2015 and hopefully get one of the two best records in the league because the new postseason format gives you that first-round bye. You get to get a little breather for hopefully DeGrom and Scherzer and Bassett, etc. Not to be a buzzkill, but let's remember last year that they had entered this weekend having played 28 games this season. You look at the same total last year. The Mets were also in first place. They were given an 83.5% chance to make the playoffs by fan graphs. The Braves were in third. They were given a 37% chance. You guys all remember how those odds were the apologies to the Fresh Prince. They got flipped, turned upside down. So beating up on the last place Nationals this coming week would help some things. Let's preview them after this. 
Nationals Park is where this carnival of a season began for the Mets. After that first week was washed out because of the labor relations delay, the first games of the regular season, you might remember, were played in D.C. just after the Mets had lost their final spring training game to the Nats 12-1. Pete Alonso always seems to sparkle at Nationals Park. Years ago, had a home run in the Futures game there as a minor leaguer that had a height and speed that basically broke the Internet. Got his first major league hit there, his first RBI there, his first grand slam there. That was banked about a month ago. Washington is a mess, although Josh Bell is hitting around 350. His highest major league batting average to date is 277. Right now it's 350. Their pitching, though, is a disaster. Of 30 major league teams, they're 29th in ERA, 29th in whip. They thank the good Lord every day for the Cincinnati Reds. Juan Soto is eighth on the team and runs batted in. Nelson Cruz is fourth on the team and runs batted in. Yadiel Hernandez and Mikel Franco are two and three in RBIs behind Josh Bell. Uh, Cruz isn't doing a thing. Soto came into the weekend with six home runs, only seven RBIs. Because basically if somebody's on base, they just don't give them anything to hit. Case closed. The Nats are a mess on the bases, too. This goes back to last year when they had a net gain of a minus 72 bases with team base running. That is, uh, or was, worst in the major leagues. Yeah, they've got Soto. He is a must-see attraction. And three-plus years of service time. He's a couple years away from free agency. He'll hit the open market at around 26, probably with some of the best numbers we've ever seen for a position player. It's a long way off, but it's hard not to envision what uh, might be a legit bidding war by not just the two New York teams, but some other teams that want all in. Because, look, I mean, Steve Cohen loves art. And uh, if he wants the original Mona Lisa in his den... That could be Juan Soto. It's fun stuff to think about. I know a lot of you are already doing that. Anyway, no game against the Nationals scheduled tonight. But Tuesday, 7.05, Wednesday, 7.05, Thursday, 1.05 at Washington before the Mets start a homestand Friday against a team they seldom ever play, the Mariners, the team that, yes, flipped the Mets' Edwin Diaz and the now-departed Robinson Cano. Let's thank our Mets in the Morning House band. I hear the music. Let's get out of here by thanking Julio Valera, who is on keyboards tonight. Jose Valverde was a guy who was slapping to bass. The horn section, give it up for Manny Alexander. And on drums, our good friend Ed Lynch. This is Josh Lewin. Thanks so much for tuning in. Appreciate you all the time. If you're downloading and supporting Mets in the Morning, hope you'll tell a friend. Uh, tell several friends because we, we kind of like having this thing for you. Take it easy. Talk soon. Bye-bye.